This is the EWN Podcast Network. Answer journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes Podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Hi, welcome to episode two of the Cancer Cliff Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Cochran. I'm here today with fellow breast cancer survivor, yogi, and non-toxic living enthusiast. And later on in the episode, I'm going to be giving you three tips for how to get moving or stay moving during your cancer journey. So stay tuned for that. We're going to go ahead and jump on in with our interview today. I'm super excited to be here today with Vicki Vo. Vicki and I were introduced by a mutual friend fairly recently, and we just found out we had so much in common. I think we could, well, we do talk for, it seems, hours, and we always have more to talk about. So I'm really excited to have her share her story with us today. So welcome, Vicki. Thank you. Super excited to be here. Yes. So I want you to just start out by telling us a little bit about your story and your diagnosis, a little bit about how old you were and kind of the process that you went through. Sure. So I had just turned 40. This was in um, June of 2013. I had a three-year-old daughter. I was a single mom with a high-stress consulting position, but I was making it. (laughs) Um, And I was bathing with my daughter one evening, and I ran across the outside of my left breast, and I felt uh, a lump. Um, And then two days later, had it checked out, you know, went through the whole process of all the different tests. Um, My gynecologist was sure that it wasn't cancer because of different characteristics of the the lump that we felt. But I think that I have learned from seeing two close friends having just finished their treatment, and they were 32 and 36, so they were younger than me. Wow. Having seen them go through... I kind of had an idea about being an advocate for myself because they carried around binders of their medical records. And so I'd seen that. And so when it was my turn, I wasn't necessarily surprised, maybe because it had happened so close to me. And when I had my biopsy, I went to the hospital two days later and I went to medical records and picked up my own report. And I know everyone is different, so that might not be for everyone. But to me, I needed to know. Information is powerful to me. It helps me to be able to frame what's happening. And then even if I, there's still a lot of variables. And at the time, you know, there were so many variables uh, with what treatment I was going to have, et cetera. But it would just help me to have a grasp on the situation. So I walked out of Reston Hospital with my report in hand. And I read the words invasive ductal carcinoma. And I knew that I had cancer. And so you know, uh, from there, going through all of the specialists, what was very helpful to me was meeting with a breast surgeon. So I immediately went to my friends who had just gone through it. They gave me their teams of doctors and I went to see them. So it was very helpful to have referrals. And the breast surgeon that I chose, she let, she gave me a, basically a project plan when I left her office of who to call and when, and as a project manager, that was just perfect. And so I went through, um, you know, all of the the consultations and I ended up deciding to have a a double mastectomy, even though I really could have, per the doctors, done a lumpectomy on my left breast. 
Um, but for me, and we all, you know too, that it's such a personal choice what to do, but that actually was the easiest choice of all the things I chose. I knew immediately I did not want to have to go through mammograms again. I didn't want to have to consider if it was going to come back in the breasts. And so telling them I wanted a double mastectomy was easy, easy decision for me. Um, you know, as a, as a yoga teacher, I will say that I was hesitant as I got closer to the actual surgery date of removing a healthy breast, you know, and going through unnecessary, if you will, quote unquote, unnecessary potential um, surgery for that. But I've never looked back and that was definitely the right choice. Yeah, we definitely share that in common, both in having that be a really easy choice for us Mm -hmm. and also just the focus on how we sort of make our choices and honor the choices of others, which I think is so important in this whole process. Because I know for me, so many people were like, when I would say that that was what I was doing, they immediately are, people are on either side of the fence, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're super comfortable with it. Like I can definitely see that or they're like very afraid, right? It was, it was definitely a situation for me where I was like, I looked at the surgeon when I walked in the room and said, this is what I'm doing. Right. (laughs) She was like, okay. Right. And definitely like that whole moving piece was also really kind of front of mind because I said to my plastic surgeon, okay, given what I do for a living, like being a massage therapist, doing Pilates and yoga, like what am I looking recovery time? And she said seven days. I was like, really? And I said, okay, okay, seven days. I'm I'm down with that. I'll trust you. You're the professional. You do this every day. But movement was also always part of the topic of conversation. Um, Did you find the same for you being a yogi? I did. I did. So it's interesting you you shared that because my first question, one of the first to my plastic surgeon was, will I be able to do yoga again? Because knowing, you know, the trauma that would occur to my pectoral muscles, because I chose to have reconstructive surgery. And so the plan was to lift the pectoral muscles and place the expanders and eventually the implants underneath the muscle. So I really understood that, you know, my chaturangas, my push-ups were going to be impacted at the minimum, but he told me I would. Um, and since then, he has, he has likened me to sort of be a, a role model for a lot of other women who are looking to do reconstructive surgery. And he is encouraging me to write a book. And so maybe, maybe someday. But yes, the movement piece was huge. You know, a lot of people come to my yoga classes now that I teach at Life with Cancer, and they, they haven't been active prior to that, or they haven't done yoga, you know, ahead of time. And it definitely was advantageous that you too, sure, like we were in, in shape and, you know, to whatever degree um, to recover faster. Um, but I also, one of the things about yoga, and I think it could be really for any group exercise even if it's walking with a buddy, is I found that not only did I miss, and it was maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks probably, outside of my mastectomy, I didn't just miss the movement. I actually missed being with people that were like-minded. And so that is actually how I found Life with Cancer through Innova. I went to their yoga class. And then you know I took that class, and now I've been teaching that same class for several years as a survivor. So that, that's awesome. That's great. That's a great way to give back and connect with people as well. Yeah. 
that was a real benefit for me and in having my practice and working with clients, I was down for a short period of time and then I just jumped right back in and I set the stage. I prepped my clients. Like these are the things I'm going to be able to do the things I'm not going to be able to do. Like I got them a little bit more self-sufficient, but I was still able to have that client work, which gave me a little bit more community connection. Right. Right. So that's so important for us. It is. With that kind of normalcy. Yes. And I needed to go and I couldn't go to my regular studio. I wasn't physically able at the time. Um, And so being around like people that were going through the same thing and could understand is huge. And that's, that's still the case. I think that's one of the beautiful things about seeing um, a teacher of any physical discipline that understands the cancer journey, the treatments, you know, all those things, the challenges, um, because you are immediately understood. And, and then, you know, if you ha- if you are in a group situation, then you have that well. Yeah. I, I really encourage my clients and people that I'm working with that are looking for teachers and looking for classes and kind of navigating that getting moving piece, I really encourage them to talk to the instructors and get a sense of their background and their history. Because I know having had a knee injury many, many, many years ago, that always informed how I worked with my clients. And, and it helps us to have a little bit of a, of a tough love when we need it. Right. Because when we've been there and we know that it's hard, but it's doable, right. you can help people navigate that fine line, sure. that fine line between, oh, that's really hard. Maybe I shouldn't do that or kind of reframe it to, oh, that's really hard. And I need to be doing more of that. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and there are women that, you know, come to class and they're in the middle of chemo. And I know what that's like. Right. So um, I will sometimes encourage them that even if you can just get to class, you could sit in class and just breathe in a pose and not do anything else, but just get here. You know, sometimes that's a victory. Just right. Right. And then inevitably people will leave feeling better. Absolutely. And to get that like mindset piece and even, even Shavasana, like giving ourselves permission to work Chaturanga from, or work a sun salutation from a place of a kneeling lunge and a child's pose right. and not worrying about being doing up dog or down dog or Chaturanga, like just flowing from that place of like child's pose to a half, you know, kind of half plank and just sort of building strength and giving ourselves permission to let it look how it looks. Yes. And today it might look this way and tomorrow it could look totally different and it's all information. Right. It's all part of the learning. Yes. And I think that some of the challenges when you're going through your treatment and recovery and, 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 and then survivorship, like going forward is the reframing of your mind, the reframing of not even the word normal, but just how you feel about yourself, you know, your, your self-worth, your, uh, your self-image. 
that's a whole process that, you know, we talk about probably in the smaller communities, like in intimate settings, but it's not something that necessarily is talked about on a global scale. It's more about, you know, the facts and the figures of this treatment, that treatment, this drug, that drug. But the other is so much more, um, it's so much more of a soft kind of conversation. In fact, last night at yoga class where I was teaching at Anova, this woman, you know, we were complimenting her on her hair because it was coming back and it was looking good. And she was saying, I'm finally feeling like a woman again. And I so related to that. I didn't feel like, a, I didn't feel feminine for a full year, maybe longer after my treatment. And I attribute that, I don't know if you can relate, I attribute that to not even really losing my breasts because I had implants. So to me, I didn't really lose them per se. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Yeah, for me, I think it was because of the medication, the chemotherapy, and then the continuing um, uh, hormone therapy. Those things, in addition to growing my hair back, you know, and, and even though I like rocking a wig and I liked even like not having hair, but the growing back, it, it was all just wrapped up into identity and who I, you know, who are you at this side of, of cancer diagnosis? Absolutely. I think that it really, that that's a big focus for this podcast too. Like, because surviving is just the beginning, yes. like we get diagnosed, we go through the stuff, but that's sort of the route. That's the project manager in us. I handled my yeah. very similarly, like, okay, I got a thing to do and now I'm going to do it. And these are the steps that you take. And, and then you sort of come out the other side and it's like, huh, well, this doesn't look the way that I thought it was going to look. Right. So then we've got that like whole new that because surviving's just the beginning, now we've got to figure out, well, what's what's the next thing look like and and how right. do we navigate that? So we're gonna take a quick break here and when we come back, I wanna uh talk with you more about uh your movement practice and also about how you incorporate essential oils and because you're a big advocate of that. So I want to learn more about that from you. So we'll be back with Vicki Vo in just a moment. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Hi, we're back. This is Jen Cochran with the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast, and I'm here with Vicki Vo. We've been talking about her journey as a breast cancer survivor, and we've had so much synchronicity between our individual journeys. You had mentioned both your surgery and talking with your plastic surgeon about your what your movement was going to look like and how your yoga practice would look and the interesting similarity yet difference is in the three years that elapsed between your diagnosis and my diagnosis for people that are really fit going into their situation there's the option to do implants over the muscle now my surgery looked a little bit different from your surgery and then my muscular response is different as well. So that's kind of a, just an interesting component. Uh, you and I also both had hormone receptor positive cancers. We both had hormone therapy post chemo. Ironically, we both had varying challenges. In my case, I'm celiac. It turned out after a year and a half of really struggling and sort of hitting a critical mass place for me, 
where I was full of fluid, just my clients and my family just sort of described me as looking puffy. It turned out there was gluten in the medication that I was on and there was no alternative. I was allergic. The very first item on that medication, contraindication to taking is don't take if you're allergic. That was really a difficult thing to navigate with my medical team because they really were attached to me being on that medication. And I was really attached to no longer feeling like an alien in my own body. So we were a bit at cross purposes and and in advocating for myself, I, I actually came to that realization of the gluten on my own and then reached out to my pharmacy and And they confirmed and were actually quite horrified that that situation had been going on. It took a lot of advocating on my part. And I know you had a quite different yet similar situation. So I would love to have you share about that. Right. So we were on the same medicine, right? We were. You know, it was just sort of a, that's what they recommended. They, you know, showed us the graph, showed us the stats and basically said, you know, your outcomes are this much better if you you take the medicine. for five years, but actually they told me for 10 years at the time, take the medicine. And I did. And after, you know, the usual side effects occurred and then after, which are not fun, uh, but <laughs> no, they're I don't not. Know, maybe, I don't know, eight months ish, all of a sudden, you know, uh, I started to almost be able to point exactly where my ovaries were <laughs> on my, on the outside of my body. And I'd never done it before, but there, there was, it was pain. It was painful. And so long story short, you know, I continued to have um, ovarian cysts and they were coming and going and coming and going almost, almost with like a monthly cycle kind of thing, even though I didn't have a cycle on this medicine per se. Um, it got to the point where I went through a DNC and they wanted to make sure that everything was good. And then they said, well, let's start again. Almost like, let's, you know, clean you out and start at ground zero and go back on the medicine. And within three months I was in the ER with a ruptured ovarian cyst, which is highly painful. And so then I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. This is not, my body does not work with this medicine. It's just not right. Right. And I believe when we talked about this the first time, like they wanted you to start again. They did. They did. They, they just, you know, kept saying, well, try it again, or let's see how it goes. And, you know, I just said, I just said, no, I mean, it's, it's, it was so obvious to me that my body just was not working with this medicine. It just wouldn't work. And so I went to see a different oncologist. So again, you know, being your own advocate, the one oncologist, he didn't really even say like, keep going or not. He was like, well, it's up to you. And then I sort of looked at him and said, well, I'm not a doctor. You know, I mean, I understand it's up to me, but give me something. And I decided I need to just go see someone else. And I did. And and, and she honestly said, you know, if you can't take this medicine, then you have these other options. And I didn't like any of them. Then it was take two drugs instead of one. Um, right. So I, you know, just made an, an empowered, informed decision for myself. And that's what I walk every day, as you do. And I think that's so important, like to be that personal advocate and to get the information and do the information gathering and feel really powerful in our choices because it really does come down to choice. Right. You know, there's so many choices that crop up along the way. And There's like in the case of our surgeries, the surgeon doesn't actually tell you. They say, well, these are the options. And then we choose. Right. Where in the case of this medication, it felt less like a choice for me and more like, well, I'm 
this is what's supposed to be the best thing. So this is what you will do. Right. And then I hit a point where I was like, I can't, I can't do it. And then I literally woke up one morning like, oh, these are actually all my symptoms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I hadn't felt them in so long because it had been so long since I'd been diagnosed with celiac that I didn't make that connection. And I was like, oh, the doctor looked at me when I went in and he said, I just don't understand like why this hasn't been working. And I was like, I'm allergic to the medication. Right. And then he said, well, for someone that's as physically fit as you and has a diet like you have, we can just monitor you without it, which also felt kind of interesting because I was like, wow, I've been screaming right. for months. Like I've been full of fluid. Right. This seems okay. <laughs> Um, what, why wasn't this an option? Why wasn't like monitoring me with, with healthy living? Why wasn't that a good option three months ago? Right. Before we knew why everything was happening. Right. Right. So that whole advocacy, like really tapping into like, what is this body and how does it feel really advocating for our health and well-being? So important because it starts to have a, a mental component. Yes. Like one of the side effects for that medication is depression. Yeah. And I was like, is that a side effect of the medication itself? Or is that a side effect of all the side effects that that medication causes? <laughs> right. Like, hmm, what is the cart and what is the horse here? Well, right. And I know women, you know, because we both work with survivors, you know, I know women that get this prescribed antidepressants because of being on that med, you know, it, it's just, it almost seems like a never ending cycle. And there are definitely, I'm not anti um, pharmaceuticals, they, they have their place. Absolutely. Um, but, but that being said, you know, um, I learned a lot about big pharma in this process and things that you can't unknow after you know them. So, yeah, that's kind of led me to, you know, getting rid of as much as I can out of my life that is not natural. Yeah. And I love that segues really nicely into this whole non-toxic living. When I spoke with May Brigade Angels, one of the things I love about them is their green cleaning. And when we really start to dig down, there's certain components of our environment we can't necessarily control. There was research that came out fairly recently that connected uh, breast cancer and prostate cancer to areas with lots of traffic. So we can't necessarily control. We live in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. Uh, metropolitan area. There's lots of traffic here. We're, we're exposed to some low level of environmental challenges. But with the non-toxic living approach, we have a lot of options for the things we can control. Right. And, and there have been studies also that have linked uh, or that have shown that the air inside our homes are more toxic than the air outside. Uh, and that's from outgassing of lots of things from, you know, the furniture, the carpets to dry cleaning. And then so, you know, it gets to be out of, it gets to be a lot. And you think, well, then I'll just, just forget it. You know, everything's harming me, so I won't do anything. And that's obviously not, not the answer. Um, so for me, as I was recovering from treatment, uh, similar to you, you know, we were both well people before we went through treatment. And going through chemo, I had this entire counter of, over-the-counter meds and pharmaceuticals that were, you know, 
helping all the different side effects, right? And all of a sudden I looked over one day and I said, this is crazy. I know it's a temporary thing, but this is not who I am. You know, I had a three-year-old daughter. I breastfed her and I just thought, I have no idea. And no, I asked the question and no one could tell me, what did I transfer to her? And I understand that no one knows that, but that was something that was just, it was on my heart. And I said, okay, so I know better. I got to do better. And I just started to eliminate things like personal care products, lotions, soaps, right, shampoos, um, makeup. And because I started to learn and our skin is our largest organ, right? So what can Absolutely. we control? Yeah. And what can we control? We can control what comes in our homes and what goes on our body. So that's how I started to then become educated and empowered with information about using essential oils and plant-based products to minimize our toxic load. And so um, it's a process. And I think that, you know, I was overwhelmed. I remember going to the grocery store and I felt like I couldn't buy anything just because I had too much information. Uh, and so that's when I took a step back and said, let me start with one section of my life at a time. And so I just would start with a section of the bathroom, you know, replacing one thing for a non-toxic thing. And so over the years, it's just, it's accumulated to the point where I feel pretty darn good when I look around my home, what goes in my body and on my body and on my daughter, you know, her hormones are going to be de are developing. And right. So I feel confident about that. And as a survivor, anything that we can feel confident about is a good thing because there's so many doubts and fears and unknowns. And so that's something that I like to talk about with people because it can be something that you can feel good about and feel like I'm taking control of this and doing everything I can. Yeah, I love that. Um, Prevention Magazine in October had a great article about five minute cleanup, five minutes in the kitchen. What items could you make better for your environment? Five minutes in the bathroom. And I think when we break it down into five minutes, like that's doable. When we look at our whole life, it's like, oh goodness, right. I didn't realize that I bought this much stuff right. or that I had this many things that this many balls in the air. Like when I was diagnosed celiac, it was very much, it was kind of a gradual process because getting to that diagnosis was a process in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So I had already made a lot of changes but then when the final like diagnosis came down, it was like, oh, now I have to be super serious and I can't have that cheat muffin or, <laughs> I mean, I could, but it was not going to serve me in the, in the best way. And so by that point, I had already made so many little adjustments mm -hmm. that it was much easier to just sort of flip that switch because it wasn't, the switch was already 90% there. It was just a little bit further to go. Sure. So I think that's so powerful to say, there's a way to do it. Right. And it's five minutes, 10 minutes. And that's right, right. And, and part of it is sort of like you were saying, you had already been educating yourself on things that were going to be, you know, allergen potentially for you in, in that scenario. And with us as cancer survivors, you know, the, the, a lot of the emphasis is on our food and that is just one piece of it. Absolutely. You know, with our skin being our large organ, there's over close to a hundred thousand chemicals that are not regulated by the FDA. I didn't know that, you know, I wasn't that kind of person that like studied statistics beforehand, but 
Um, but once you start to know that information, you look at things differently. You look at everything that comes into contact with you differently. Um, yeah, and you can't unknow it. You can't. And good thing, it's a good thing if you can understand that it's, it's powerful versus it being making you more afraid. Like that's the right. opposite that you want to have happen. Because then you can really stand in your powerful choices. Yes. Yeah. And you can, and then you can also be an, an advocate or an agent for change if you've got other people in your home. It's going to trickle down to them. And if you've got kids, then their kids and their kids and so on, right? It's like the Pantene commercial back in the 70s. And they right. Friends, but, but, but seriously, it's, um, it's very important. And, you know, I'm not really a crunchy granola person per se, if you want to look at like a, stereotypical person but once you know this then you have to share it and it's just like if you love your apple phone versus your android you share what you love and you advocate for it and then that's it so tell me about how you started really integrating essential oils because i know you use that in your movement as well as in your day-to-day yeah yeah so i started in my bath lavender in the bath to relax as I was recovering. And then I started to look at cleaning products. That was a huge, that was the next one that I did. I don't know if you can relate, but cleaning your bathrooms and showers shouldn't require that you open all the windows and the fan and you get a headache still. That's not okay. And we think that as okay, you know? So I started to do that. And then I started to use the oils in place of other products. And so I, I purchased my starter kit from Young Living and I it comes with 11 oils and I would say, okay, so something would come up in my day and I would say, what oil could I use for this? You know, this situational thing, you know, my daughter's got a little irritation on her skin. What could I use? And so it was sort of little by little, you know, bit by bit, rather than feeling like you had to know it all before I would start, I just started. And I think out of necessity, because I didn't feel like I had time or choice otherwise, but in a good way. Yeah. You know, it was pushing me to be more intentional versus Absolutely. letting things happen. Absolutely. And I think one thing that also sort of binds us together as I use, I use the term survivors because I think that's the most sort of consistently used term, but however you look at that, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the things that binds us together is the power of our choices and being able to control the things that we can control right. and let go of the things that we can't. Right. Yeah. And, and we can't unknow what, what we know. <laughs> like as we learn things and new information kind of comes into our consciousness, it's like, Oh, okay. Right. Well, that makes sense. And for me, a lot of my allergies come out in my skin. So I'm, always really sensitive to what I put on my body. Right. As much as what goes in my body. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're becoming more aware as a society in general that the chemicals that are around us and in our laundry detergent, in the dryer sheets, which are such a huge offender, if you're listening, please throw away your dryer sheets, wool dryer balls, wool dryer balls, and use those instead. Um, because they're such offending, offending um, chemicals that are causing, you know, respiratory issues and, you know, skin irritants, eye irritants. And, and, and then people are going to the doctor with these sort of phantom issues and the doctors can't really find out what it is. And a lot of times, if, you know, if you just start to back off one thing at a time, 
some things could resolve or get better. And again, it's just, it's all about, it's all about choices. It's all about choices and being intentional. And I think yes. once you have the cancer, I, I used to call it the cancer card so that I could say whatever I wanted to say. Once you have that, then it, it just helps you to be bold, I think, in, in, in making choices, taking you know, your place about different things in your life. Yeah, absolutely. The cancer card and, and being bold and in how we express ourselves. Ooh, that's a whole nother, I'll have to have you back on another day to, to talk about that. Sounds good. How we make our choices in our, you know, career. You and I, ironically, uh, also both come from that consultative world where we were consultants in that sort of pressure cooker. Yep. So that's interesting too. Um, I definitely, I, I can't believe we're reaching the end of our time together here today. It goes so quickly. I would love for you to share Faithful Warrior Wellness with the listeners and how they can connect with you outside of this interview today. Sure. So Faithful Warrior Wellness is, uh, is the page on um, um, Facebook. And then I also have a website. It's, it's very rudimentary, but it's there. Um, so you can connect with me through FaithfulWarriorWellness.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with me today, Vicki, and for, for sharing. Me. Always great to spend time with you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to share those three tips to help you get moving again. Stay with us. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. One of the things that my own cancer journey showed me was that often our hearts, our bodies, and our heads are just not on the same page. Our heart feels like we should be where we were before our illness. Our body's been impacted by our circumstances and can't perform at its previous level. And our head intellectually understands the divide, yet really struggles to accept and reconcile the two. And I found that to be really, really present to me in my own journey. I was in great shape when I was diagnosed. I was in the best physical shape of my life. My sports performance was great. My weight was really in a good place. My celiac was under control. My cholesterol actually had dropped 40 points after really being very intentional with my food choices. I was really feeling good and in a great place. I just had this little problem <laughs> of my breast cancer. So I went through my surgery, had bilateral mastectomy, and five weeks after surgery, I was out walking again. I was able to, at about six weeks, I was able to walk my dogs. At about five weeks, I was actually out walking on my own. I was getting pretty back to what felt like a good place. And at eight weeks, I started chemo. And with I had a number of challenges with my chemo, but the basic, my basic cycle, once we got everything under control, was that the first week I was tired, um, needed more rest. I sat down more when I was training clients. Um, by week two, I was feeling better. And by week three, I really felt sort of, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. <laughs> For those of you that have been there, it, it will not come as any surprise that the challenge with that was that my quote unquote normal was shifting. It was shifting in, in small amounts. I really wasn't sort of where I was at the beginning when I got to the end. But in my mind, I thought, great. You know, my, I was on a three-week cycle with my chemo. I had six treatments. So I started the end of August and I finished December 2nd, 2016 was my last 
uh, chemo treatment in that cycle. And so in my mind, I thought, fantastic. Three, you know, week four, I'm going to be back to walking. I'm going to be able to walk my dogs. I'm going to be in a great place. I really thought that that would be true. I, I believed that with all of my being. Probably, I think it was like week four, maybe week five, I decided at three o'clock in the afternoon to go out for a walk with my dogs. My husband was at work. I got in a little bit of trouble for this because I had hand foot syndrome during my treatment that prevented me from being able to walk my dogs from about half, just after my second treatment. Um, so for, for the second half, at least of my treatment, I couldn't walk my dogs, which was sort of maintenance exercise for me. I wasn't able to hold the leashes. And one of my dogs is a little bit unpredictable. So it's important that you can hang on to the leash and keep her in a controlled, in a controlled environment. I decided one afternoon that I was feeling good and I was going to go out for a walk with my dogs. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a nice day. The weather was pretty nice for December, January. I headed out. I walked two miles with my dogs and it was great. I felt good. I was able to do it. I didn't have any issues. Um, I felt really good. And then my husband came home and gave me a little bit of a stern talking to that I had done that on my own um, with, without an escort in case I had any issues and couldn't control the dog. So cautionary tale there. The interesting part of this story is that the next morning, my husband had taken on a lot of, a lot of things as caregivers do. He had taken on all the dog walking. He was walking the dogs in the morning, walking them in the afternoon, taking them out before bedtime. Like he had taken on all the dog walking. The next morning he said, do you want me to walk the dogs? as he's getting ready to get ready for work. And I said, no, I got it. Like I did it yesterday. I was good. Like I can do it. You go to work. Like I can do it. I have plenty of time before my first client appointment today. I, I can do it. I'm good. Let me take this back off of your plate. The interesting thing was that as I went out for that walk, I didn't make it a tenth of a mile from the house. I was in a cold sweat. I did not, I did not know what was happening. I turned the dogs around, got them home, and I basically walked in the front door, set down their leashes, and sat on a stool in my kitchen for 30 minutes pulling myself together. And it was very interesting because I've always been sort of a night owl and I've never really been a morning person. And this journey really shined a light on that. I struggled with mornings for a good, basically the last two years, I've only recently started getting to a place where I can take the dogs for a longer walk in the morning and not feel impacted by it, which was very interesting because later that day, that same day, I had pulled myself together. I got the dogs squared away and went on with my day. That afternoon, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to take the dogs out and see how this afternoon walk goes and I went out and I walked two miles and I had no problem. So the moral of this story is to just get started, take baby steps and see what happens because we just don't know. 
we didn't, if I had gone out for the first time in the morning, that might have, that might have caused my brain to override my body, to not play with, well, why is this happening? And it may have caused me to think, ooh, I'm, I'm not in a good, like I need more recovery time. And that may be what it means. Or it may just mean this is not my time of the day to be doing this activity, which really was what I found out to be true in my particular case. We don't know until we try. It came up for me, I was talking with a friend not long ago, and she said, well, maybe running like isn't your jam anymore. It, it was before, but maybe that's just not going to be your thing. Uh, maybe there's something else. Like the first tip is to just get started. Try, try something. And if it doesn't work out, sort of take note of what didn't, what about it didn't work. Was it the time of day? Was it the clothes you were wearing? Was it the temperature outside? Because all those things sort of play into the, all those variables of success. And then I want to challenge you to kind of play with the activities that you try. One of the big things for me was visualizing success. I was telling this story last weekend. We had some, some friends over and in this past January of 2018, I ran the Dopey. Um, and Dopey is a four, it's four days, four races at the Disney, Disney Marathon weekend. And I did a lot of walking, uh, I did a lot of walking in Dopey, but it's a 5k on Thursday, a 10k on Friday, a half marathon on Saturday and a marathon on Sunday. And I set out to do that because I would be a year out of chemo and I was going to be 45. And I wanted to just show that you could do anything that you set your mind to that you plan, that you visualize yourself finishing and you do the work. So I did a lot, I did a lot of work. But the first time that I actually went out to run after chemo was probably not until about March of, of last year or uh, 2017. That very first day I had visualized in 2010, I ran the Disney Marathon in honor of my cousin who was at the time going through treatment for lymphoma. I ran with Leukemia Lymphoma Society in her honor. I, at the end of the Disney Marathon for Marathon Weekend is a, a choir. It's a gospel choir. So when I set out in March to go out to run for the first time, I was just going out to see what happened, to see what my times looked like, to see how I felt. Um, it was really an experiment in getting started and I visualized that choir. And I kept visualizing that choir uh, through all of my training. I basically spent 10 months of 2017 training to do that event, um, walking, fast walking, running, a combination of running and walking. And I really walked the lion's share of the first three races. And then I did a run walk on the, on marathon day, but I visualized 
the success of finishing that race. I visualized that gospel choir at the end of the marathon, the very first day that I went out. So visualize what success looks like for you and then get started. The most important part is to let go of the expectation of how it's going to look on any given day. Visualizing the end goal that's far in the future is fantastic because we keep we can keep our eye on the goal. But then we need to let go of the expectation of what that looks like. My example of walking in the afternoon feeling great and walking in the morning and feeling horrible, that that was something I could never have expected, but I didn't let it stop me. I just started to investigate and be curious and be curious about, well, what's going to work for me now and what's not going to work for me now and how do I weave in the things that are working with trying new things. My mission for you this week, if you choose to accept it, is to test out some new movement. And I'll actually play along with you. I am going to test out a new kickboxing gym. So I will hop in. It's been a long time since I've done um, any kickboxing or that type of cardio workout. So I'm going to gonna test out a new new kickboxing gym. So I will report back in the Cancer Cliff Notes Facebook group. I will report my experience with that. We'll see how that goes. I have no expectation other than to just try out something new and see how it goes and uh, then go from there. So I challenge you this week to test out some new kind of movement without expectation. Go ahead and just let go of any expectation about whether that's the right kind of movement, the wrong kind of movement. If it seems interesting and it's something you you want to try out, just go ahead and try out a new thing and hop over to the Facebook group and let me know what you did and how it went. And then how the results from that can really spark you to be curious about what kind of, about what exercise looks like and how it can be fun. Cause if it's not fun, we're not going to do it. So I look forward to seeing you next week. I've got a great interview with a caregiver and a coach who has turned her caregiver journey into some amazing work. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.